So we're picking up where we left off in John. This will be John chapter 3. And uh, we're going to be starting at verse 22 and going through the end of chapter 3. So we're going to read this and then we're going to pray. John chapter 3, beginning with verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside. Now, just quick note, remember that after this is when we did John chapter 3, the first part last week, that was where he met with Nicodemus. And he shared with Nicodemus about you have to be born again. And Nicodemus was really struggling with, wait a minute, i got to go somehow. This grown man's got to enter back into his mom and be, no, no, no. Jesus said this is about being born spiritually. And it's being born not just the word again the way we think about it. But if you remember, we talked about the original Greek word that's there. And it's really translated from above. You need to be born from above. You need to have a heavenly, a spiritual rebirth. So it's after all of this, then Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. So Jesus did somewhat what Nathan's going to do. Jesus was in the city, because remember, when he was meeting with Nicodemus, it was during Passover, and he was there for the festival and all of that. And so he says, you know what? Had enough of the city, we're going to the country. That's what happened. Just want you to know it's all spiritual. You know, every now and then you need to just get up and get out. Go somewhere. So then it says he spent time with them, with his disciples, and he baptized. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John, it would be his disciples, and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing, and everyone is flocking to him. John responded, No one can receive a single thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom. But the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For God sent him, and he speaks God's words, since he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray over the Word. Father, thank you. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for allowing us just to walk through one of these Gospels that tells about your life and that tells very much about you being God. Jesus, Holy Spirit, God, three in one. And Father, I pray that you will help us to continue to see things out of Jesus' earthly life so that we will understand and that we will grasp and we will know the beauty and the majesty and the marvel of who he is. Not who he was, not who he might be, 
but who he is. And Father, I pray that you will make that very real and true in our lives today. We just pray your blessing over your word, over our hearts, over our minds, that we would receive. Father, I pray that you, God, keep me out of the way. Because it is your word that does the work. It is your Holy Spirit that brings it to life inside of us. It's not about charisma. It's not about how good we can get something across. But it is your Holy Spirit that does the work. And Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory. For you alone are worthy. We just pray and believe these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And church together said, Amen. Amen. So I want to be really transparent here at the start. The world often sees the faith community struggle to come together in order to do ministry. Just Can, can I get an amen on that? Amen. It's just the truth. It's a reality that the world really struggles most times, or they see the, the faith community struggle to come together to do ministry. Churches won't come together because they've got different views about the Holy Spirit, or they've got different views about what worship can look like, or what style of music is best for a, a worship service. It's not something new. We see it right here. The disciples that were following John after Jesus started his earthly ministry by you know, being baptized by John, they are having a struggle. And, and the reason they were struggling was with the idea that their guy wasn't the guy. Okay, Their guy wasn't the guy anymore. Prior to Jesus coming, John, you know, John is kind of the... Um, there used to be a song. I'm trying to remember who the uh, who the group was that did it. I, I can't remember. It was an audio A, and and uh, but it was one of the groups. They did a and they had an album called Welcome to the Freak Show. It's a Christian album, just in case anybody's worrying. I, you know, so go Welcome to the Freak Show. Everybody's like, my word, but what kind of music he been listening to. You know, hey, that electric guitar, it'll do stuff to you. You know, you start to listen to anyway. <laughs> now, but um. One of the things that I've always thought about when you talk about John, and you know, the Bible says that man, he's out in the wilderness, and you know, and he's wearing he's wearing these these skins, and he's eating honey and locusts and all this, and he's baptizing people. I mean, dude was what everybody nowadays would be going. That guy's a freak, right? That's what was the thing, really. You know, welcome to the freak show. It was God ended up a lot of times calling people and having people do stuff that people thought was just freaky. All right. I mean, think about stuff that Jesus does later on. You know, Jesus takes, and there's a guy who's blind. What does he do? Jesus spits on the dirt, makes mud, rubs it on the dude's eye, tells him, you know, go wash this off. And, and you know, I mean, how about somebody spits in your eye? That's, you heard Jonathan talk about here, Jonathan Augustine, when he was here, you know, a, a, a month or so back, talking about, you know, some people spit in your eye. You know, only God can, you know, spit you a new eye. But, but you know, there's the deal. I mean, he does, some, he does some freaky stuff sometimes. I, I kind of like that just because of the fact that although we tend to attempt to get a formula in place for how God's going to do stuff, he really defies that. He really looks and says, you know, yes, there are promises in God's Word where he says, if you do this, then I will do this. Okay, but that's not a control thing. We treat it that way sometimes. Oh God, I did this, so you have to do this now. That's not exactly the attitude we ought to be having. It's even when we are following God's word, it ought to be one of these things where we're saying, God, I'm I am being faithful to do this and I'm trusting in you 
that you're going to be faithful to your part. It's not a, God, I'm in control now because I did what you said. I dropped my quarter prayer and I turned the knob and there ought to be a gumball pop out the bottom, right? It's not the way it works with God. But we tend to want formulas. We want to search the scripture and go, ah, he spit in the dirt. So the next person that comes in and says, I'm having problems seeing, somebody needs to run out and get me some dirt so we can all spit in it. And make some mud and go, we're going to heal you right here today, right? You know, we, we try to find those formulas. Oh, man, he's going to tell somebody to go dip seven times in a river, you know. Well, maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe when we baptize people, we should dunk them seven times. If you got a bunch of people baptized, it's going to get rough, man. We're going to take turns. We're going to rotate through the staff. You're like, you're going to have to baptize some people now. <laughs> we try to find these formulas, and that's, that's always a struggle for us. And, and so we, we identify, well, we think worship ought to look this way. Or, hey, we heard that, that some folks off in, you know, some city in the Midwest, man, God's just been showing up in their services and, and they're, they're doing discipleship this way or they're doing their service this way or they change and they open like this. We go, oh, we all ought to do that. Because look, if you do that, then God shows up. Man, let me tell you something. God will show up in your car God will show up when you're in your prayer closet. God will show up in your moment of brokenness. God will show up when you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. God ain't going to show up because you go, oh, if we do it exactly like that church over there did it, then, oh, man, he'll have to come because, look, he's moving over there. Look, just read the scripture. God was doing stuff all kind of different ways. But that's why people sometimes won't come together to worship won't come together to serve, won't come together to fellowship because they're different. And their method is the way that, well, everybody should do it that way. And if you're not doing it that way, then you're probably not right. And you're not in touch with God and you're not in touch with the Holy Spirit. And man, I'll tell you something. Now, I love good music and I love good singing, but I've seen people get up in little churches where they didn't have anybody that honestly could almost sing and carry a tune in a bucket if you gave them a lid to put on it. I mean, they just couldn't do it. But I've watched people get up, serving God, sincere and honest. And, and now, I've seen something, it was terrible, and God wasn't even moving at all. <laughs> but let's just be honest, there's some times where it was so bad. It was so bad in no way. But I've seen people just, just really be close. But God just bless because of sincerity, because of, of a desire and a heart to serve God and to worship. Did that mean I wanted to go do the particular songs they were doing? What? No. And honestly, if they came and they listened to something, you know, where we're throwing a little bit of crunch on some guitar, where it's a little bad, they'd be going, oh, we don't want to do that. We want to do something that sounds country like. Hey, just God's going to move and God's going to do the way that God wants to. There's not the method. There's not the style. There's not the guy. The guy thing is a problem. And it didn't start today. It didn't start when TV evangelists showed up. It started all the way back here. We, Jesus has showed up on the scene. John's disciples are going, wait a minute. The guy was our guy, and why is it that now people are going to the other guy? Truth is, John knew he never was the guy. And those who had been following him 
And his forerunner teaching simply weren't listening. And I, I describe it as forerunner teaching because he said, I'm the one that comes before. I'm the forerunner for the guy that we're really looking for. This guy is coming and I'm not him. But I'm here to tell you about him. But the people around him just didn't get it. And now before we get all judgmental, you know, regarding the faith community, the reality is that this kind of behavior is kind of common for us in all areas of our life, right? We tend to be fans of things throughout different areas of life, and we tend to get antagonistic. We'll talk about being here in the South here in a minute. Toward people who don't have the same fandom that we do. Let's be honest. There's people, if we just want to talk a little football for a minute, there's people that they can't get along. They can't be in the same place and watch a football game together because something bad will happen. <laughs> 20, 20 some odd years ago, I was, uh, Michelle and I had gotten married. I had decided I could sell. I wanted to sell. I've told you, I wanted to sell these $400 knife sets. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a single person I knew that could afford a $400 knife set. But they convinced me I could sell them. They sold me better than I could sell knives. They still exist. They're over here. They're over here right off of Noble Street. It's called Cutco. God bless them. Um, but, but they wanted you to sell these $400. Well, you didn't get paid for the first uh, until you'd, you'd done, I think it was like 30 presentations or something like that. And then you'd start getting paid a little bit per hour and all this. Well, after about 30 days, and I, hadn't, I didn't have 30 you know, family friends, families, that I could do a legitimate presentation to, and I was, I don't know, you was breaking the law. We was cutting pennies with them, because that was one of the demonstrations you're supposed to do. I'd hold up a piece of paper with one of the knives and tell you how sharp it was, and I could cut a piece of paper just holding it up. You know, had a bunch of leather that you'd cut through with the scissors and all that stuff. I mean, it was awesome stuff. And nobody could afford $400 knife sets in the city of Anderson, not anybody I knew, right? I mean, we can even eat steak, much less buy $400 steak knives to cut it with, right? So... Just tell the truth. Tell it like it is. But, but you know, but I'm just going to say it this way. I'm just going to make it a little spiritual. But the enemy will convince you of some things that if you stop and think, you know that doesn't make sense. But anyway, so I started doing it. And, and so we didn't have any money, and we got in, got in all kinds of struggles with our bills. And so I, I went to work for Temporary Resources, which was in the Commerce Building at the time, up in top of the Commerce Building. And so they sent me to the old Magic Chef facility. You know, it's out there on Electronics Drive. And so I go in there, and they've got me filling in. I think I filled in for maybe about six weeks or something for a lady that did the radon leak testing. Maybe what's wrong with me today, I don't know. But, but I did this radon leak testing on their line. And it was right near the time when the Alabama-Auburn football game was going to come on. And so they were telling me a story about that there was a supervisor and an associate that they used to, if they had to work on Saturday, they would play the Alabama-Auburn football game across the speakers inside the plant. And they said, we had to stop doing that. Because they were talking about having to work that Saturday. And I was going, man, I don't want to have to miss the Alabama-Auburn game, you know. And, and, and they said, yeah, yeah, we used to do it. And I said, well, what happened? And they said, well... A supervisor and an associate went out in the parking lot, and one of them was an Alabama fan, one of them was an Auburn fan. They got mad at each other, got into a fight, and one of them, after beating the other one up, threw them in the dumpster. 
threw them in the dumpster. And they said, we can't do this anymore. See, fandom will make you do some crazy stuff toward people that you've got a lot of things in common with, you ought to be able to come together with, but because you get crazy-minded about one singular thing that y'all don't agree on, you will do some crazy stuff. And it happens in a lot of areas of our lives. It doesn't matter whether it's because you crazy fandom about politics. It doesn't matter whether you're crazy fandom about things you like or things you don't like or people you like or music you like, whatever it is. If there is something that there can be two different opposing views on it, we know the reality is that we tend to end up in conflict. It's one of the most powerful means that our enemy Satan uses to divide us as people and therefore, he uses it to divide us spiritually from each other and even from God. When you hear people say, well, I just don't believe God could be that way. Well, that's great. Did you invent him or did he invent you? Which way does that go? Did, did in the beginning you created God or in the beginning God created We don't kind of get to decide, I don't think God could be that way. There's a lot of isms that are, that, that are great examples of what was going on here between John's disciples and these people who were starting to follow Christ. Racism, nationalism, regionalism, denominationalism. I got tickled, Pastor Wild Bill was saying yesterday, uh, or actually I think it was Ritz. Ritz was saying demonism. <laughs> demonism or something. He, he, he stretched it down in denominationalism, but he said, he, he had intentionally, you know, said, it said that demonism. Man, that's what happens a lot of times, right? Oh, y'all are that kind of church? Well, I can't come be around y'all. Oh, you're that kind of church? Yeah, I, you don't, I can't tell you how many times in three years I've had people say, well, what are y'all like? I said, well, we're like people that love Jesus. That's, that's what we're like. No, but what are you like? Well, I don't know. What are you asking? Well, I mean, are you, are you Pentecostal? Are you charismatic? Are you Baptist? I said, y'all just come check us out. I mean, just see... We just love Jesus. We want to love people. We want to love the community. Yeah, but what are you like? I don't know. How do you think I'm like right now? I mean, I mean, what are you thinking? Because we've got, we got these fandom things that we want to try to identify because that's, and, and Satan uses that stuff to divide us. I want us to look at three of the entities that are involved in this discussion here in John. And that's John's followers, John himself, and then Jesus, who is, is God. John's followers. One of the first things that we see when we're reading this passage, it says the dispute centered around something theological. This is one of the biggest problems that people start having. Now, I'm all about that you need to be pretty solid on what you believe. Um, particularly, if you even look at our website, we'll say that on the fundamental and core things, we need to have unity. But on things that are not fundamental, that are not core, then we're going to have, we're going to give grace and freedom. We're going to show love to people because if they're not the things that are going to keep you from getting to heaven, then I'm not going to disfellowship with somebody because that I can't distinctly find it in the Word of God, and it's not going to keep you from getting to heaven, then all right, we can work through some of that because I don't know a single person that they and I believe exactly 100% the same on everything that we would talk about theologically. 
Now, I know lots of people that we absolutely believe the same when it comes to the core doctrines and truth. You know, uh, Virgin Mary and, and that Jesus is born in, out of the virgin birth. That it's, you know, that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. That Jesus is God. That God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus are three in one. And that's a mystery, and we all know that. But, you know, all of those basic things that are there, yes. But here, these guys started having a problem over something theological, and we actually don't get a clear picture of what it is. All it is is they say that it's about purification. It would have been about ceremonial washing. Now, if you study the Jewish, um, the Judaism, the, the religion of the time prior to Christ coming, which results in Christianity, man, they had all kind of different ceremonial washings that could happen. It was of people, it was of utensils, it was all kind of different things. We don't really know... What it is, there's no clarifying statement in this passage as to what the actual point of contention is. What we can probably guess with, I wouldn't even say necessarily with accuracy, but that it's probably okay for us to guess as it most likely had something to do with baptism, all right? Because that's what we got going on is John's baptizing people, Jesus is baptizing people, and it seems like it, this one Jewish person who has a question, must have been somehow siding with or, or referencing something they saw in Jesus, but then you got John's disciples. And so they have some kind of dispute. We don't even know what the dispute is. Possibly it was over whether or not, you know, was John's baptism more powerful than Jesus' baptism? We don't know. We don't know. What we do know is this first biblically recorded controversy regarding New Testament baptism. Right? We get one of our first disputes over how you do something in church. Now, I can, just, I can just tell you, I'll go ahead and lay it out here. There's a lot of folks, let's just be honest, there's a lot of folks, if they came in and saw that we baptize in a horse trough, they would be going, that is just disrespectful. <laughs> That's just disrespectful. You ought to have a baptism. Really? Jesus was baptizing people in a creek. <laughs> it wasn't... I mean, they're out in the river and stuff. I mean, boom, boom you know. I mean, don't, don't talk to me about you baptizing people in a horse trough, man. I mean, it's, it's more sanitary, honestly, than, yeah, look. There's people that, that get all hung up. When, when Bird and I went to Uganda, it was one of the most challenging things about baptism, and I've never forgotten it, and I've talked with more people about this. We were there, and, and Papa Jimmy told us, he said, you know, one of the challenges for us in baptizing people is that water in some places that we go to in Africa, because it's desert, it is so scarce and so valuable that if we tried to take water and dunk people in it, it would so offend people who were not believers. Because you are taking an extremely scarce resource that is life and death, and you're using that to dunk people in. He said, so we have places where literally there is not enough water available for us to get a tank full of water and be baptizing people in and immersing them. And I do. I believe in baptism through immersion. I believe that that's, that's consistent with what Jesus did. However, I'm not going to get hung up on, guys, I'm not going to get hung up on a method taking over the message of what it was that Jesus was doing. And that's where people get hung up. And he said, hey, you got to think about that. What would you... And he asked us that question. We didn't have a good answer. It was one morning. Bird and I were out there talking to him earlier. He said, so what would y'all do? What would you do if you don't have 
water to be able to baptize people. And they say, we read the scripture and see that we need to be baptized in order to follow after Christ. Not to be saved, but to follow after the, the example of Christ. What would you do? Ooh. I might would sprinkle some people. I'm just going to tell you right now. Somebody could get offended. Somebody could listen to this message on a podcast. Go, oh my goodness, he's talking about sprinkling people. Hey, I'm just going to baptize somebody. If they're on their deathbed in the hospital, I think he talked talked about this. So what if somebody's on their deathbed in the hospital and they come to Christ and they say, hey, I I really, I would like to be baptized. Well, I mean, they're not even supposed to get out of bed, whatever else. What are we going to do? If I got to take some water, sprinkle on somebody, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because I'm not going to let the method take over the message of what we're trying to do. But theological differences and debates about things that are not core actually turn into a lot of this. And so John's followers got hung up on a personal issue and they got their feelings hurt regarding Jesus. It frustrated them that people were flocking to Jesus instead of their teacher John. So they exaggerated their statements. Have you ever noticed? It doesn't matter whether it's in the workplace or if it's in your house. Not that anybody would ever fuss in their house. I know. I know none of you guys would ever have had any debates. Isn't that what we call them, right? Debates or discussions. You were having a, a, a loud discussion, you know, right? <laughs> You'd never have any arguments in, in your house. and But... But if that happens, I know that you never reach a point where that you would exaggerate some statements, right, during that loud discussion. You know, like, you always do this. Now, that's not true. You know it's not true. Every time this, oh, you know that's probably, whatever's coming after that's probably not true, right? When you're in that loud discussion... Every single time, ever since we got married, ever mm, you, you probably you, know, you probably ought to just stop for a moment right in the middle of that and go, all right, these these finalistic, you know, fatalistic, you know, every time statements. I probably need to rethink that. Well, what did John's followers? If this makes us feel any better, what did John's followers do? They exaggerated their statement. They went to John and said, hey, that guy. Actually, they called him rabbi, by the way. This is one of the only other places where somebody that's one of these followers gets called rabbi because that had been reserved for describing Jesus. John wanted us to see clearly the struggle these guys were having. They were equating John at the same level as Jesus. They were calling him rabbi, this esteemed teacher. And so... They go, Rabbi, you, 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 you remember that guy? That guy that you baptized. I mean, you launched his ministry because you baptized him, right? right? That's, that's how this deal's going. You baptized him back when we were across the river, back when we were there. You remember him? Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. I thought you remembered him, right? Now, can you believe what's going on? He's baptizing people now, and everybody is flocking to him. Now, it's a real problem in this because we just saw that John in writing this gospel says, hey, we're over here after all this happened, and Jesus is baptizing, and basically John says, and I'm baptizing. And his disciples say, everybody is going to Jesus. And John's probably like, hang on a second, let me finish baptizing this person. (laughs) 
Now, what's happening? Ain't nobody coming to be baptized by you anymore, John. Hang on, let me back, let me give me just one second. Yes, in the name of the Father. You know. <laughs> now, what were you saying? Everybody's going to Jesus. See, when people get their, their feelings hurt, and when their method is not the thing that's being done, all of a sudden it gets exaggerated. Everybody in the church is against it. Everybody in the community is against it. I just need to change churches. I just need to do this. I just need to do that. We know this stuff wasn't true in John's case because he was still baptizing people. It was more of a numbers issue. Look, I'm just going to go ahead and make it, make it up close and personal and bring it home for you. And yes, it's going to be on the podcast. I'm not going to cut it out. Just going to go ahead and tell you. There's people that asked me, they asked me two years ago. People say, well, what do you think about the fact that Church of the Highlands is going to come and put a campus here in the same area? I said, I ain't worried about it. They said, well, why not? I mean, because they're going to offer all this stuff and they're going to have all this. I said, yeah, you're right. I'm not in competition with them. If people wanted to be at a really big church already, that's where they would be because there's already several of those churches that can do a lot more stuff than what we can do. I'm not worried about that. If, if God wants to send people, God's going to send people. They're probably going to be some people leave because they're going to pursue going after that. Oh, hey, man, they, you walk into a ready-made thing. I said, but that's all right. I mean, if that's where God wants them to be, I'm okay with that. Well, you don't worry it's going to like take all the people from your church? No, because number one, it's not my church. It's God's. You know, I just happen to get to be the pastor right now. You know, if I die tomorrow, it's God's church, not my church. He's going to put somebody else. It'll be okay. It'll be all right. People, oh, goodness, I just don't know. You know, if they move in, well, well, wonderful. Maybe some people get one to Christ, you know. And maybe some folks that drift that way and, you know, and then figure out, hey, all right, it's not... You don't have quite as close a relationship with everyone, but they may come back or they may go somewhere. It'll be all right. It'll be okay. It's not about your method. It's not about your folks. It's not about your way. Hey, love them. Love them like that, that, that they're your family and you want them. But if God wants to move them, it's his people. It becomes a numbers issue for people. And quite honestly, with John's followers, it had become an issue of wrong perspective. They had their eyes on a man instead of on God. They had their eyes on a man. And that is where error after error and hurt after hurt occurs within the faith community. People start seeing ministries as little kingdoms that need to be defended instead of seeing those ministries as connected cells within a larger organism. They don't see it as, hey, we're just one little part of the body of Christ and we need to be connected. See, what, what happens? What happens if you tear a ligament or if you really tear some muscles? And you know what happens is you lose function because that thing can't operate all by itself. That connecting force that tied it to other areas allowed it to do things that it can't do on its own. And so when the connection starts to be torn and severed within the faith community, then what we find is little kingdoms with little kings that's got little Napoleon complexes that everything's got to be their way and everything's got to be just right. And, 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 and oh my goodness, if anybody ever goes somewhere, then, you know, by God, they're going straight to hell because they just missed out on God's calling, right? I mean, we're just talking straight today. I mean, that's where people end up. 
That's where John's followers were. They were hung up about our guy is not the guy, and so they had developed hurt within themselves, and they were ready, honestly, to kick some hurt over on somebody else as well. But lest we think that this is just John's disciples, that somehow Jesus' disciples would never have this problem. It's just those people following John, right? Well, that's not the case. Mark chapter 9, verse 38 through 40. Here we go. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. <laughs> Don't stop him, said Jesus, because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Well... I mean, Jesus' disciples were struggling with this, and they're following right with the man, the the myth. Well, not really the myth, the legend. God himself come in the form of Jesus. They're walking with him, and they're going, hey, Jesus. Hey, some people, and they're casting out demons. They're taking names. They're freeing people from oppression, but they're not in our crowd. So what you want us to do to them? Jesus said, don't do anything to them. If they're not against us, they're for us. I can just almost imagine him going, come on, man. Really? But you know, that's where people are. Let's be honest. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we will find ourselves there if we're not careful. Because people will be like, wait a minute. Did you hear that the Baptist church down the road is doing this? Hey, did you hear that that Pentecostal church over here is doing this? They were less concerned about the fact that people were getting set free from demonic oppression. Honestly, what I'd have liked to seen was them come back to Jesus, but this is all about us now. You always give you this stuff. And people are like, amen, amen, amen. And then you go, but what about us? People are like, oh, hey, what time is it, Pastor? You know? It'd have been great if they'd have come back to Jesus and said, hey, we were seeing that God is doing something awesome through these folks over here. And Jesus, what do we have to do to be better prepared to be setting people free from demonic oppression? Because it's happening with these folks over there. And God, we want to be able to set people free in your name. They weren't worried about that. They just worried about they're not following us. They're not under our authority. They're not under they're not part of our tribe. Our Baptist tribe or our Methodist tribe or our Episcopalian tribe or our Pentecostal tribe or even our non-denominational tribe because non-denominational people, which we are, non-denominational people, they tend to even go anti-everybody this denominational period and just be like, well, oh, you're part of a denomination. You're the devil. Right? just needs to be about following after Jesus. Jesus said, whoever's not against us is for us. When's the last time that you really broke bread with somebody and and were willing to do ministry with somebody that they're not necessarily from the tribe that you're from, except for the fact that they're out of Jesus' tribe. I'd love to tell you that exists only among followers of ministries, but it's just not the case. Pastors, evangelists, music ministers, associate pastors, youth pastors, children's ministry leaders, family pastors, outreach pastors. It's possible for any of us to get sucked into believing that what we're doing or what we think we know is the way, the place, the method, the ministry versus what somebody else is doing. 
And just like what was happening with John's followers, it leads to exaggeration, hurt feelings, separation, and stirring other people up. But it all stems from having a wrong view of ministry. It all stems from having a wrong view of following or a wrong view of leading or a wrong focus on something or someone other than Jesus. Now, I'm I'm one of these odd people when it comes to this thing I'm about to tell you. Because a lot of folks will, they'll ask me, well, um, well, who's somebody you really like to read a lot of their stuff? I, I'm one of those folks, I, I honestly, I don't have like just these three authors that I really like to read their stuff, and that's what I read, and that's it. Um, man, I, I kind of, I even will focus on trying to challenge myself. I'll read some stuff sometimes that I know I am not going to agree with this person on some spiritual stuff. I'm not talking about crazy doctrine and things like that, but I will read it knowing that, that while I'm reading it, I'm going to be gritting my teeth. Going, that method's a little weird to me. I'm not sure I like I mean, they're talking about, you know, I'll read some stuff. I read one here a while back, subversive gospel. It was tough, man. I mean, the dude's talking about selling everything he had, moving in where all these drug addicts were and all of this, and he had his kids and all this stuff, and I'm like, you know, it's tough, man. That'd be tough. That's great if God called him to that type of thing, you know. But I made myself read it because I was, and it challenged me on some stuff. I'm not talking about that you can't have uh, some people that, hey, you enjoy reading their stuff or you enjoy reading their blog or whatever it is. Man, have at it. But just don't get hung up that they're the only one that's right and that that's the only way. And you're going to find that in Jesus. Find that in God's Word. Find that in in what he is telling you. Because otherwise, what will happen is somebody tells you, I don't like that guy's stuff. Oh, oh, oh. How dare you? Right? It's getting our focus on something other than, than Jesus. Let's take a brief look at John. John really sets a perfect example for us in this situation because what does he do? When his followers come to him and say, hey, here's what's going on, John says to them, okay, guys, I want to remind you of what I've already told you. I want to remind you of something. I've already explained what's happening, that Jesus is the one that I've been teaching about the whole time. Jesus is the one who's coming. And he uses a wonderful example to illustrate this role. He talks about the best man at a wedding. And he says basically this, the best man stands right beside the groom, but he's not the groom. The best man stands here. He sees the bride. He sees the bride. He sees all, but he is not the one who is receiving the bride. It's not his role. It's not what he's there for. He's there to help the groom. He is there to enjoy the great honor of seeing the most minute details of the joy that's in the groom regarding his bride. Oftentimes, you will see during a wedding ceremony... Actually, when, um, when I did uh, Jennifer and Ben's uh, wedding ceremony, my, my wife's uh, much younger cousin and, and her husband, when they got married, we're standing out in the middle of the field and, and we're doing it. And I was, I was actually, uh, I had my iPad. It's pretty you know, one of the neat things you know about iPads is that the camera is on the back. And so I'm standing there like this with my notes on it and it dawned on me, I could be videoing the bride coming down the, Coming down the aisle, I will get the most unique video because no one else is going to be standing right in front of me taking a video. 
And so I just swapped over to the video on and I'm standing here like I'm ready, you know. Looks like I'm just prepared. And I was videoing and, and I leaned over and I, and I told him, I said, hey, hey, I'm getting you some good video. <laughs> I wasn't even the best man. I was officiating a wedding. But you know what? When you're the best man and you're standing there, you may even have a little conversation that no one else is privy to. Because you're that close to the groom. John understood, and he was like, hey, I'm right here beside him, and, and, and I, can, I, can see, I can see his face. I, I am close enough to experience the joy that I see, that moment when his eyes get a little wet because, you know, must have been some dust in his eye, right? You know, when, when she comes to the back of the aisle, and he's like, she is absolutely beautiful. I'm about to enter into this covenant relationship for the rest of my life. What a blessing. The best man is standing there and he can look in that face. I've seen it happen time after time after time at a wedding. The best man is, he, he knows, because you know what I mean? Best man is somebody that really knows the groom. They've been friends, they're tight. And he knows how he's talked about that bride. It better have been good, too. He, he knows how he's talked about that bride. And so he's standing there, and he can see his face. And, and I've seen it. I've seen it, whether I was in the crowd. I've seen it, whether I was a fish. And you, and you see just the, the, the joy that's on that best man's face when he sees his buddy going, He just gets that big old smile. He's like, yeah, this is it. John said, that's where I am, guys, and you're not understanding. I'm not worried. That's not my bride. But I am so thrilled for the groom. I was here for him. I see it on his face. I see the joy. I see the excitement. And John says at the end of his statement, a part of it, he says, so because of this, I'm, I threw the because of this, and he says, so because of this, my joy is complete. He, the groom, must increase while I decrease. Now, I've seen weddings where, you know, even particularly during the, uh, during the practice, you know, beforehand when you're having the, the wedding practice, that the grooms, and, uh, the, the best man and the maid of honor, you know, now they may be cutting up some and all that until it's time to now let's get focused on and now the tension shifts. Even there's been a couple of times where you know, I had to say, hey, you need, you need to, let's bring it down. Should, this, this ain't about you now. You know, you should have you put the can down a little earlier. But anyway, you need to, let's focus right here on, on these two. Right? And John says, hey, my joy is complete. But now what you guys, my followers, need to understand is you're not my followers. I was just trying to point you to him. And now I need to decrease. You need to quit getting upset about this. I need to decrease so that he can increase because he is the answer. He's the Messiah. He's the one that I've been telling you about. I was very thankful. I was proud of so many of you yesterday. You came out to help support one of our own, Brother Lance and the Christian Motorcycle Association that he's a part of. As they met here yesterday. Why? Because most of you are not motorcyclists. 
I learned something yesterday. I learned that these hardcore guys, they, they, there's, a, there's a series of different ways they view people that you know, are involved with motorcycles. I learned that. I had to look some stuff up while they were talking. <laughs> I was looking up what a one percenter was. I looked up outlaw biker gangs. <laughs> I'm probably now on some, some list of getting looked at while I was, I was trying to be careful, but... But I kept talking about one percenters, and I was going, what's a one percenter motorcycle? And I learned some stuff there. And, and then uh, uh, Pastor Bill was talking about, you know, the difference between people that are motorcycle enthusiasts, you know, and I heard one guy go, yeah, that's them 500 miles or less a year kind of people. I learned all kind of stuff yesterday about motorcycles. So, so here's what I know. Even if you have a motorcycle, you're probably not a, not a motorcyclist in the way that they're motorcyclists, all right? <laughs> But what did you do? But particularly a bunch of the ladies that came out, you know, you, you came out in order to, to just love and support. You came out to serve another ministry, and that ministry is trying to reach a group of people that the vast majority of us have zero access to reach. Amen. None. I didn't even know when I showed up. I showed up. I wouldn't put my sweatshirt on. I wasn't even thinking until they started talking or anything. I had on my, my K-9 shirt from, uh, from the New Orleans Police Department because I thought the shirt was cool when we were in New Orleans. And I'm walking around with that on, and I got a couple of weird looks, you know. And, and so then later it got cold, and I kind of put on my sweatshirt, and then they were talking about, hey, you know, you can't show up at one of these biker events, and if you're an ex-police officer, I, I almost felt like I need to stand up and go, I'm sorry, it was just a T-shirt. I just bought the T-shirt. <laughs> See, stuff you don't even know in order to access in and talk to people and, and wit, witness to people and minister to people. But there's, there's places and there are churches that it doesn't matter what it is. There's churches at Seven Springs that's told us, said, hey, we're not welcome in some places. Some churches don't like because they don't want that we bring in 20, 25 ladies that are coming out of uh, environments where it's, whether it's drug addiction or other things, or maybe it was, it was using their bodies improperly. And they said, people, people don't want us. And I'm going, well, you're welcome here. Because you're going to reach some people I can't reach. God will take your mess and make it a message, right? He'll take your stuff and he'll turn it into something. That, that what, what the Bible tells us is what, what the enemy meant for evil, God will take and he'll use for good. But John understood, and John was like, hey, this isn't about you following me. This is about that my joy will be full because I can see that Jesus is connecting to people, his bride. Understanding where the focus is supposed to be when it comes to the faith community. And finally, we look at Jesus, the true focal point. And John describes some powerful things about Jesus and even contrasts them with himself because that was the issue, right? The issue was that his, his people were contrasting John with Jesus. So John says, okay, fine. Then I'm going to draw some comparisons for you. And one of the things he says is he says, look, the earthly person speaks in earthly terms. That was John. He was talking about himself. I'm an earthly guy, and all I can do in pointing you to God and all that is I speak in earthly terms. He said, but however... The one that is from heaven speaks about that which he has seen and heard. And he was, he was trying to get a message across to him. He was going, guys, I can tell you about things that I know. But, but Jesus, he's the son of God. And he can tell you about what he's seen and what he's heard. And what he has seen and what he has heard, none of us have ever seen. 
You don't need to be worried about listening to me. You need to go to him now. The second thing he tells him is God sent Jesus, and Jesus is speaking God's words. Third thing is he says the father loves the son. He's given everything into his hands. I made myself a note. This demonstrates the oneness of God and Jesus. John was reinforcing the idea about the Holy Spirit and God and Jesus being one, one being. They share the same authority over everything together. And John ends his statements about Jesus with a powerful truth, and this is what he says. And this really sums it up because he kind of starts off easy, kind of like, hey, you know what, I just want to remind you that I've told you guys that I'm not the Messiah. I was just the one coming before him, and I've told you about Jesus, and then Jesus is the guy, and now he's here. He ends it by powerfully driving this home, and he says, look, here's the truth. If you believe in Jesus, then you get eternal life. But in essence, if you believe in me, instead that's going to result in you continuing to have the wrath of God on your life because I can't do anything for you when it comes to eternity. Jesus is the one that if you believe in him, you will inherit eternal life. Pursue a man and a ministry and you can find yourself in hell for eternity. Pursue Jesus and you will find yourself living a life that's blessed both here and for eternity according to God's plan.